This is a podcast from China Daily Hong Kong. Thanks for tuning in to an edition of Story Spotlight, where we engage with a CDHK reporter and dive deeper into a recently published story which drew a buzz. I'll be speaking with veteran journalist and CDHK culture contributor Rebecca Low on her recently published article titled "How Green Is My Balcony," which dives into the growing trend of amateur farming in the concrete jungle of Hong Kong and how growing vegetables. Be it at home or in public spaces by urban farm entities, has caught on during the pandemic. This has helped promote well-being in the city, develop community bonds, and is increasing overall eco awareness amongst people in the city. Rebecca, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast today. Thank you for having me. By talking to both experts and passionate amateur urban farmers, Rebecca has painted a holistic picture of the impact of this growing niche and shares further insight with me from covering this topic. Was really an interesting piece in a city like Hong Kong, such a you know densely urban city. It, it makes it much more intriguing. So I wanted to find out what made you take on the story because it touches on so many different aspects for our society, many of which is difficult to make huge leaps in because of all the obvious problems, space and the price of property and everything. Would you say that the trend is rapidly growing, not just in amateur farming, which was a big focus in your article, but in public initiatives for well-being and environmental awareness overall? I would say that yes, the trend is growing, but it has been growing for a while.、Uh, I think one of the very interesting things about Hong Kong is a lot of initiatives are not top down, and that was one of the things I wanted to address in the article too.、Uh, a lot of these types of initiatives, which is really a community farming type of initiative, either. People join a community farm, or they take it upon themselves to farm in their own private space, or、um, private corporations will、uh, use their roof for farming. All of these initiatives are, you know, they just kind of spring up and independent of each other, and it's not really a government top-down kind of thing. So the,、right. the very interesting thing to me is that how I first. Learned about this was through people talking about it to me. Like you know, I would meet up with friends. They'd say, "Oh,、uh, you know, I've had a really hard time during the pandemic, but nearby there was a community farm, or I started farming on my balcony, or I started farming on my rooftop, and it just gave me, you know, a break from all the Zoom meetings, from dealing with my family in close quarters for twenty four seven for months at a time." So、right. I thought it was a big topic, and I am on the mail list of the American Institute of Architects Hong Kong chapter (AIHK), and they have a lot of events. And during the pandemic, the last year, the president was Vicky Chan, and he initiated a lot of Zoom conferences and discussions. And he specifically, through his practice, he does a lot of NGO and charity work.、Um, that's what he concentrates on. And I got invited to the launch of K Town, which was a project that he was working on for his client Rusty, and、uh, with the foliage and all of the greenery supplied by Pharmacy. Both of these are organizations that are easily Googled. They've been doing a lot of good stuff in the city. Right. So they had a launch of this K Farm. And it's literally just you know a block away from where I live, so I had no excuse not to go. It was really interesting because Vicky is an architect, but he's clearly very interested in grassroots community engagement, that type of thing. And、um, so he was the one who led the tour, and he, being the architect, he knew exactly how he developed an architectural solution to this community farming thing. So that particular site is. 
amazing. It's right on the Kennedy Town Promenade, which has recently been, become an impromptu skateboard park. So if you've not been, I... <laughs> yeah, I actually went yesterday and I walked through it at night, which bodes well because I was interviewing you today. Did you notice K-Farm there? Yes, I saw the, the, the big glass dome with all the plants in there, right? Yes. 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 So I think um, the K-Farm runs parallel to the promenade and the promenade is probably, I don't know, I would say 500 meters. It's not that long, uh, but it's not bad for a promenade. Um, and mm. this is very Hong Kong thing. So I think in pretty much any other city in the world, pro- the promenades in Hong Kong on Hong Kong Island would be connected. But there's, you know, Instagram here and then another promenade starts. So you can actually... <laughs> the- connect at all you have to sure. leave that and then go back in another area sure so k farm actually runs parallel to this promenade and there's a series of interventions so the glass pavilion that you mentioned that's sort of for um, hydroponics and then there's a small pool that will you know collect rainwater there are other areas and different levels of farming for people who because it's mostly seniors that they were thinking of who may tend to these farms because there's a lot of seniors who live in the area. So there's different levels that they could operate at. They could sit in their wheelchair and farm. They could stand and farm. Uh, you know, I mean, it, it makes things very, very easy for uh, it's essentially farming for dummies. Uh, anybody can right. do it. Kind of learn as they go. There's staff on hand and it's pretty much open to the community. So I thought that that was an interesting experiment, architectural-led experiment into urban farming. And it kind of reminded me of all the friends who I spoke with who got into farming during the pandemic. And also a number of years ago, I had met Matthew Pryor when he launched his book, um, The Edible Roof. He, at his book launch, he actually introduced the farm that was on the roof of Rangi Shaw building at HKU. And at that time, it was flourishing. A lot of students were attending to it. So Matthew was a fascinating person to speak with. He's an avid sort of farmer. Uh, He's very much into community farming. And Matthew ended up being sort of my go-to academic guide for more critical analysis of what Hong Kong could be doing better. And he actually mentioned Singapore as one of the places that do urban farming really well. Interesting. Just to clarify, you know, he's the University of Hong Kong's landscape architecture head, right? They're the Faculty of Architecture. They have a division called Landscape Architecture and right. he's the head of that wow. division. An interesting story was I was at a totally related event. So I had previously written an article about architects who practice art in their spare time. And what I was attending an exhibition opening and bumped into Caroline Ma, who I hadn't seen for a number of years, but she knew the architect. And it was just really a casual event, small talk conversation. Hey, what have you been up to? Right. And she said, well, the pandemic, I farmed on my roof. And I said, hey, I happen to be doing, uh, I'm researching for this story. And she just you know, then sent me all this information about what she was doing. And she's part of a chat group, which they discuss um, different farming techniques. They share seeds. They share their uh, pros and cons about their different spaces that where they farm. Like some have a balcony, some have a terrace, some have a roof. And it was just really amazing how it was literally just a very casual, what have you been up to? That's, and very, I, that's very serendipitous. <laughs> it was. 
very much so. So I think if I literally spent some time asking around, I would have enough material for probably an encyclopedia of urban farming in Hong Kong. Right, right. Well, would you say that there, there's still a way where all of the, like like you said, there's so many different people who are doing their thing and probably in different aspects, whether it's urban farming or, you know, some sort of biodiversity in the city. Like, is there still room for these mini kingdoms to unite more, to have a united front to make more of a headway, perhaps in lobbying with the government or what have you? Uh, I think yes would be the short answer, but the longer answer is much more complicated. As you know, Singapore is more top down. Like I think the Hong Kong government does a good job at trying to promote certain things, but it almost doesn't matter what the government does or not do. Hong Kong people will do their own thing. Right. Okay, and we're just getting comparison to Singapore. I'm not saying that Singaporeans don't do their own thing. This is just a comparison. Hong Kong people will just do more. So that's on every level. So, for example, the government could say to big business, you need to all have an urban farm on your roof. Whether people will do it, that's another story. And I would say that if that business sees that it's part of their corporate culture to do that, then they will. But sure. Just the overall old school business mindset and finance focus, I should say, of Hong Kong. Go on to the next point of Singapore, which you mentioned. I read it in the last decade, Singapore has really been leading the way in marriaging the environment and the city. And I was watching a David Attenborough feature on Netflix, and he mentioned that you know, Singapore has planted over 2 million trees in the last 45 years and has the most tree species in, than any other city in the world. And I saw these super trees as an area where they have all these super trees to help promote biodiversity. And they're just investing billions in eco-urban landscaping. Uh, I would say that a lot of people do compare Hong Kong to Singapore, but there are a lot of just really basic differences. Hong Kong is a lot more mountainous. Singapore is relatively flat. Right. And because of the mountainous areas um, or the hilly, area, hilly terrain of Hong Kong and the multiple islands in Hong Kong, it is much easier to have uh, what the government terms green lungs because those areas are difficult to develop anyway. And so they end up being the city's playground. And we already have that surrounding us. Like, And we're very lucky that way. Like, that's true. That's a good point, actually. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Anybody can access you know, a hiking trail or can access the beach. Whereas I think Singaporeans, because of just the geographic nature of that city, they kind of have to have more human intervention to have this greenery. They have a continuous season. It's either wet or wet. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it rains every day for like 15 minutes. Whereas in Hong Kong, uh, we do have essentially two climates. Like it's wet and sunny. The diversity, like you cannot, you know, sort of grow the same things because they're two very different places, different terrain, different, um, especially for farming. Like I think um, one of the things I remember Matthew telling me is that in Hong Kong, there's two growing seasons and then that's kind of it. In between, it's too wet to actually do anything. Ah, okay. But whereas in Singapore, things, because it only rains like for 15 minutes every day. I mean, I know that there, there are rainy seasons, but essentially you can work, it, it's more predictable and you can get sort of these longer patches. So things just, you can grow different things. Sure. No, that makes sense. In, in Hong Kong, because there are a lot of small business owners who perhaps 
and small businesses in general. And essentially, there are a lot of recent immigrants, if you will, from either uh, mainland China or from other places, or, you know, they could be from uh, other places within Asia. And so they're sort of starting their own business and they have a very different agenda. Like the first generation people, you know, they want to make it in Hong Kong. And so, you know, the community aspects and sort of the greening aspects, they may not be as interested in that because, you know, they're struggling to make their business thrive. Whereas the second or third generation people who happen in Hong Kong who are more financially secure, they're doing more, you know, they're looking around and seeing how they could give back to the community. Now, this is just a very general statement. Of course, there's people who are giving back to the community who are new arrivals, but generally that's kind of how Hong Kong works. Sure. The main takeaway from everybody is that it's not about the food that you grow. I mean, that is an aspect of it, of course, but it's not so much about that. It's more about the process of farming and the well-being that people get out of it rather than, you know, am I going to have some tomatoes at the end of the day? (laughs) Absolutely. And that was one thing I really took from, you know, reading your whole piece that it's it's more than just the herb, but the farming itself or the food you're growing. It's all connected, you know, to well-being and then thus the happiness of the community and people, especially in a city like Hong Kong where I feel like it's just stress levels are so high. It was really great seeing these initiatives and especially along the waterfront, which the government keeps developing more and more to make it more well-being. Speaking of takeaway, I wanted to get your most surprising takeaway for you personally covering the story. I think my one of the most surprising takeaway was discovering that some of the friends that I have are farmers. If you, uh, it's probably not that obvious in the photos that were um, published, but Enoch and Caroline both are beautiful women. Like they're just very glamorous people. If you, if you see Caroline um, at a typical event or if she goes to a meeting, she just looks like somebody who would never break a nail. Like right. she does not look like somebody who would get her hands dirty. So when she told me she did farming on her roof, I just kind of looked at her like, really? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I never thought of that. And same with Enoch. Like normally, you know, she's a marketing executive and she's always jetting here and there, quite busy um, with her son. But again, like her farming aspect of it, uh, I thought it was amazing because I think she lives in a high rise in Tongchong, and she mentioned one time when um, we got together that because she doesn't have any outdoor space, it was great that her clubhouse has this little plot of land and she could access it. And I think a lot of times, too, what I've discovered was that a lot of times if it's a shared plot of land, a lot of times they are oversubscribed. So many people wish to do urban farming, and this is the only place and the most convenient place. Um, and aside from you know her peace of mind, one of the things she found when farming is that she's farming with other people, and right. they can trade in person. You know, and they're all kind of looking at each other's farms and oh, you know, I have a great idea for growing better tomatoes. Like everybody's sharing these types of things. So that part is actually really nice because that's one of the things I think about Hong Kong and everybody living in high rises. You know, the complaint is that, oh, I don't talk to my neighbors. I don't even know the person living beside me. But farming is a great leveler. Sure. That leads to a community. 
yeah like all this is so great it's so crazy to me like what are we doing otherwise in this concrete jungle you know this is what we should be doing learning how to farm and at least having a more understanding connection to you know the environment and the whole ecosystem otherwise this is why we're all neurosism and manicness is going through the charts <laughs> uh, yeah definitely. yeah something that Matthew brought up. He mentioned that one of the things about the Hong Kong government is that they don't really see, like they think of urban farming as farming, the emphasis on farm rather than well-being. And so it's difficult for that top-down funding aspect. There are some community farms that are government initiated, but I think Matthew's point was that there could have been more, but because the government categorizes farming as produce, as food, right? Um, they don't really fund it that way, where it should be more like um, well-being community. And if it, if it was, they would be all over that because now that's a priority for the government to focus on well-being, which is why they're developing all these parks and public spaces around the city now more and more, especially what the city has been gone through in the last two years. Yeah, yeah. Rebecca Lowe, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. It is always my pleasure. That's all for this segment, guys. Until next time, stay healthy.